This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 15, and we are recording on Tuesday, February 9th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with our resident Book Riot Velocireader, Liberty Hardy, who is joining us from her All the Books podcast, filling in for Jen, who is away on a uh, staff uh, director retreat. So thank you for coming and being on my show, Lib. You're welcome. I can't I can't really fill in for Jen because no one can fill in for Jen. Jen knows everything. But I'm going to try really hard. <laughs> Jen like, has an infinite knowledge of all yeah. things literary. But you read like 300 books a year, so... It was a little over 500 last year. That is insanity, Liberty. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't do anything else. That's true. That's true. I feel like with your two powers combined, like if we got maybe the two of you, the two of you should just host all of our podcasts, all of them. Just all of them. Jen. Yes, you and Jen. My book seller from another fella. Yes. We'll make you queens of, or maybe like the czars. I like czars. (laughs) Maybe the book czar. Czarinas. Mm Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are listening for the first time, the way that the show works is it is a write-in reading recommendation show. So if you have any reading recommendation requests for yourself, for your book club, for a gift you want to give someone, um, or any variation on any of those themes, you can send it to us and we will answer it on the show. You can send those to getbooked at bookriot.com or you can just go on to bookriot under get booked and drop it into drop your question into the form at the bottom of every post. And that is how this works so we're just gonna jump right in it let's let's just go okay you ready you all right. start <laughs> all right i'm gonna i'll read the first question uh this question stumped me like whoa so most of the answers will come from liberty here but um yeah all right this is from april books for my recently retired husband who has spent way too much time watching reality tv shows about toothless alaskans he has enjoyed the white cascade the great northern railway disaster and america's deadliest avalanche by gary christ He began on my recommendation, but did not finish The Big Burn, Teddy Roosevelt, and the Fire That Saved America by Timothy Egan. We're moving to the woods of north-central Washington state, so something outdoorsy might fit the bill. And again, that is from April. Thanks for writing in, and I'm going to let Liberty go first, because she's got more than me for this one, so. Oh, yeah, I had so many ideas. You were like, only two, but I I can never just do two. Well, since Um, I only have one, you can do as many as you want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one book that I absolutely love, 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 which is sort of outdoor disaster, like, it's, it's horrifying, but it's The Curse of the Narrows, the Halifax disaster of 1917, in which... A munition ship blew up in the river and flattened a town. Wow. And then, like, 12 hours later, while they were, like, trying to find all the bodies and find all the survivors and all this, the largest snowstorm that they've ever had fell on top of that disaster. Hmm. And it's it's incredible. Like, there's, a, there's a, a place in the city of Halifax where they have a monument to Boston because um, the city of Boston sent people to, like, help them. Uh, clean up and find everybody and it's just so amazing I mean you just like you think you have it rough now but you don't if you ever feel like bad for yourself you should read this book because the things that these people went through were incredible 
That is so interesting. Um, I, you know, I tend to lean towards the depressing and morbid, you know, but mm-hmm. um, getting away from that, there's also, uh, it's called Fire Season, Field Notes from a Wilderness Lookout by Philip Connors, which came out a few years ago. It's a memoir about this man who decided to, like, just lay back and take it easy, and he got a job working at a fire lookout in New Mexico. There, there, 90% of the fire lookouts around the country have been shut down. This is, like, one of the few remaining and he went and hung out there and just sort of meditated and took stock of his life um, and kept a journal. And it's really interesting. It won the National Outdoor Book Award. And it's really cool. And for fiction, if you like Alaska, um, there, there was a great mystery that I read a few years ago called Cold Storage Alaska, which is sort of like Elmore Leonard meets Northern Exposure. So like, he's like, <laughs> it's so good. It's, like, it's got crime, but it's more like funny and has like quirky people that live in the village it's about a guy whose brother has been in jail for a long time and he returns to alaska and they're certain that he's going to like pick up where he left off being a bad guy and how he's like trying to change and his relationship with his brother and his mother now and it's really funny and i loved that i hope there's another one because it was really good um now you go me go okay so my pick is a walk in the woods by bill bryson this is the wrong coast you're moving to the West Coast, and this takes place uh, on the East Coast. But it's, I think, going to fit every other thing that you're asking for. If he likes um, reality TV shows about bumbling, haphazard people doing bumbly-type things, then this is, like, right up that alley. Um, Bill Bryson writes memoirs and nonfiction, and he decided on a whim to walk the Appalachian Trail, which is a nature trail that stretches from Georgia to Maine and um, goes through the Appalachian Mountains, and he decided to do this with a friend of his from school from his, you know, younger days who he had not seen in years. And both of them were, I think, in their 60s and out of shape. Neither of them had any hiking experience, really. Um, Bryson had been on day hikes, but had never, you know, hiked for months at a time, of course. So he takes his friend who was a crotchety, I think, recovering alcoholic, if my memory is right, and um, and his own foibles and they go hiking the Appalachian Trail and so many shenanigans ensue so many shenanigans and there are tons of odd quirky secondary characters but they're all real people because this is a memoir and it's mixed in with a bunch of history uh, of natural history of the the area um, uh, from Georgia to Maine but also history of hiking history of the uh, the AT, the Appalachian Trail itself, and it's just really funny. Like, Bill Bryson is the grumpy old neighbor that everyone wishes they had, and what, reading about him going on this uh, adventure is, is quite entertaining. So that is my pick for April, A Walk in the Woods. Did mm. you watch the movie? I didn't I know it was out already. Movie. Is it out yeah, already? Yeah, I think. I think so. It's Robert Redford and Nick Nolte. Yes. I think it's out now. I don't know if it, man, Nick Nolte's voice is like nails on a chalkboard to me. <laughs> so I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I could, that like, is it, you know what I mean? That like gravelly. Oh, yeah. It just, it, most people like that. No, no, no. I liked it like a decade ago, his voice a decade ago, but it keeps getting worse and I just can't, I can't, I can't. Did you watch no. it? I have not seen it. Yeah. No. I would like to. I think yeah, it's funny. I like Robert Redford. Absolutely. Yes. Sneakers all the way. <laughs> all right. You want to read question number two? I will. Okay. Um, Go to town. Because it's the one that stumped me the most. Yeah. So why not? Okay. 
A little personal, but I'm looking for honest descriptions of depression in fiction. It's such a hard topic, and while it would seem like they're everywhere, I find str- I find oh mm, I, I struggle find, I struggle to yeah. see it depicted realistically or in a way that makes me feel less alone than more alone. Since one of the best ones I've read, The Bridge, came from a wreck on this site, I w- thought I would ask. On the flip side, would also gobble up any diverse wrecks if I love Justin Cronin's Passage trilogy. That's from Olivia. All right, Olivia. You go first. Okay, so my first one for this is a classic, but I think for a reason, and it's The Bell Jar um, by Sylvia Plath. And the thing, I love this book for so many reasons. If you haven't read it, please do. The, the first thing that I like about it is that it was one of the first real depictions of female depression in fiction um, that really kind of, I don't want to say indulged, it let the character indulge in it, but like that lets the character get in it. And it was, and even now, when, when I read it, I first read it in high school and so many of the, the guys in my high school class were like, oh, it's so whiny. It's just like a, a girl being sad. But then we read Catcher in the Rye. And of course they were like, this is just like truth, man. It's so like how I feel about life. And that was enraging to me. But so it has, it has in my mind, because of the history of uh, the depictions of depression in women in fiction, it's got a nice feminist angle to it. But also just the way, I mean, it, you know, it's autobiographical. And Sylvia Plath, of course, uh, suffered from depression and eventually committed suicide. And so the depictions of uh, the way that she writes about the claustrophobia of depression and about um, the hopelessness and the like physical pain that you feel when you're suffering from depression is timeless and perfect. And people are still just kind of copying what Sylvia Plath did when she wrote about it. So that's my first one. My other pick for this is a, a YA novel that I guess at this point could be considered a classic of that particular category. It's Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. And the difference, I think, here is that the main character, Charlie, in Perks of Being a Wallflower is a teenager. He's um, he's not popular, but he's not not popular. You know, he's just a shy kid who had this big traumatic thing happen to him, and he's uh, learning to deal with it, and he's he's got some depression. He makes And it's about this depressed kid dealing with trauma, navigating high school, um, making friends, having family drama, that kind of thing. Um, his depression is brought on by a trauma. So it's it's not necessarily like the, the bell jar where she's born with it and it's uh, maybe genetic or whatever. This is a, a kid dealing with depression brought on by something outside of his control that isn't necessarily um, biological. So no matter what where your depression comes from or the causes of it or the roots of it, I think you'll relate to both of those characters. Um, yeah. And that's, that's me. Go, Lib, go. <laughs> I, I had a, a really hard time thinking of any, like, my brain just shut down. It stopped. Oh, yeah. It was like, it was like, uh, depression, like, um, like, mental illness, I could do better. Like, Winter Girls by Laurie Halls Anderson is one of my very favorite books, and I think that's a very realistic look at just any kind of issue that you're having um, that's not physical. Um, yeah, I was, I was more on the, uh, after the passage, Rex. Okay, like, I, I've I've got nothing. There is there is an amazing novel called Imagine Me Gone by Adam Hazlitt, which is coming out May third, and it does involve a gentleman who is very depressed and he gets engaged and his uh, fiance is trying to decide um, does she want to like actually go on this journey with him? Does she want to marry him or is his depression going to be a problem? And then it kind of jumps ahead to you know now they've been married for several years and they have children and, and she's dealing with him. Um, it's really really good. Adam Hazlitt is genius. 
But other than that, I'm all for like monsters and apocalypse. I've, I've well, do that. that because I've I don't got... have any for the for the passage part of the question. So I took well, the depression angle. You do the passage angle, and with our powers as... combined, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As far as um, um, diverse wrecks, I was thinking that uh, mostly because of the first story. But there's a great collection called "Falling in Love with Hominids" by Neil Hopkinson, which is like after the apocalypse, and there's these kids. Um, trying to survive, and there's a bunch of other short stories. So she's amazing. Uh, Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, which is about... Um, God, I read it so long ago. It's about a young woman whose family dies, and she goes like out. It's like after the apocalypse, and she has this special power where like she's an empath, sort of, and if people are in pain, she feels their pain. Um, it's fascinating. Uh, there's another author called... Uh, Tanana Reeve Douay, who I absolutely love, who writes kind of sci-fi, horror, speculative fiction. She's so looking, good. Oh, it's like, if you're looking for, people always say like, oh, they're the next Stephen King. No. Like, if you want to read something very similar to Stephen King, read The Good House by Tanana Reeve Douay. It's, it's amazing. Um, and Stephen King, you know, big fan of Justin Cronin. So there you go. Um, yeah, that's what I have. All right. Let's do our sponsor. For the show before okay. we move on to the third question. So our third, um, our third, bleh, our third sponsor. No, Amanda, no. Our sponsor <laughs> uh, for this show is our own Steamy Reading Box, which is a new uh, book box that we've just put together in time for um, Valentine's Day. And this is the most book thing that ever existed. So it's a box of four of our favorite sexy books, which includes uh, romance erotica fiction, but also nonfiction Hey, and also <laughs> some uh, some bookish items, a book themed like swag stuff. And the box does not contain any repeats from quarterly or the older Riot Read subscription. So if you are subscribed to the quarterly box, either quarterly box, the young adult one or the adult one, um, you're not going to get any repeated books or items. And I um, was not I wasn't involved in like curating the box, but I did. Uh, help Rebecca who put it together she bounced some stuff off me when she was putting putting it together so I do know what's in it and it is so good there is there's something in this there's there's a book in this for everyone Um, and if you are just a general enjoyer of romance then uh, or a general enjoyer of erotica or a general enjoyer of feeling a little warmer in your house because of reasons, then you will enjoy everything in this box. So um, you can just go to our store, store.bookride.com, and there's a header for the Steamy Reading Box. You can click that to order it. And I will leave a link in the show notes. And happy reading. All right. Moving on. Woohoo. Question three. It's my turn. Okay, this is from Nicole. Uh, she says, Hey guys, I'm sure you're familiar with Pop Sugar's reading challenges. Well, I tend to find half the fun of them to be figuring out what books I will read for each category and normally have no problem. This year's challenge includes a category I'm having a time a hard time with, a book and its prequel. I've read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia, because The Magician's Nephew counts as a prequel, The Lunar Chronicles, and the Hannibal Lecter series already and enjoyed all of them. I really like any kind of fiction, but I think I'd like books written by the same author rather than a prequel written years later by someone else, unless they're just really good, in which case I leave it to your judgment. Uh, anyway, I love hearing all your recommendations. Have a great day. Okay, so that's from Nicole. Um, so you want to go first? Well, I only have one. Okay. Uh, but it's a really, really, really big book, and so is the prequels. So I thought maybe I'd pick that. But it's really, it's one of the best books I've ever read. It's Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry, which is so 
Um, scary because it's huge. It's like 800 pages or something like that. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's enormous. And so I put off reading it for so long, but it's it's really one of the best books I've ever read. A couple of my friends just read it and they were like, this is the best book I've ever read. I'm like, I know. It's a Western and it's about these two um, ex-Texas Rangers who drive cattle up to Canada. And that's basically it, except that a lot of things happen on the way. Um, gunfights and snakes and bears and, you know, horses getting loose and cattle getting loose. And <laughs> and it's also, it's one of the funniest books I've ever read. I did not, like, Western and funny just don't really go together in my head. Yeah, like, in I know. Books. That's weird. And it's it's one of the funniest books I've ever read. Like, seriously, I slept with it under my pillow for, like, a week after I finished it because I did not want to let it go. So he wrote prequels about the two main characters after Lonesome Duck came out. Um, the first one being uh, Dead uh, Streets of Laredo, I think it's called, and then Dead Man's Walk, and then Comanche Moon. Um, they're not as good as Lonesome Duck. Like, not much is. But they're really fun, and if you like westerns and um, really fun books, they're they're great. Like I said, it's huge. So really, you should just read Lonesome Duck, and it should count, you know, just like cheat and say... You know, I read because it's like three books in one, really. Yeah, for 800 pages, so, that should really count for more. Or than like one read thing. it backwards, like read like the last half and then read the first half, and then you could count that as like reading the prequel. So, <laughs> sure. Okay, so I have two for you. Uh, my first one is Clarial by Garth Nix, and this is a prequel to his four book, uh, or is it three? Hmm. I've not it's read It's three. Them. No. Whoa, what? I know, I know, I know. I'm just making sounds. Okay, so the it's a three book. It's a trilogy. It's the uh, the Abhorsen trilogy. The first book is called Sabriel, and then Lyriel and Abhorsen, and then Clariel is the prequel. So this is a series. It's a young adult fantasy series written. I think it's in in, in like the 90s, um, and it is my favorite. Not it's my favorite young adult book. Clariel, I mean uh, Sabriel is the first book in the trilogy. It's my favorite fantasy novel. It was one of the books that made me a reader. And it's just so amazing. The original book, uh, the first book in the trilogy, Sabriel, is about a girl named Sabriel. She's a teenager. She's going to school in this uh, kind of magical land. And her father is the Abhorsen, which is the, um, not he's not royalty, but he's this very important person in society whose job is to keep the dead down. So this is a magical, you know, fantasy setting where when people or monsters or baddies or magic beings die, they go into death and there are several layers of, it's very Dante-ish. There are several like um, doors of death that you have to pass through before you get to the final part where you're actually dead. And depending on how powerful or magical a being is or how evil they are, they can um, sometimes escape death or they can from various levels of death use their powers to um, you know like raise zombie hordes and wreak havoc on the land and so the abhorsen's job is to stop all of that from happening and sabriel is the abhorsen's daughter she's been sent away across the wall into a part of the the land where no magic happens uh, to go to school while she's there her father goes missing so she has to come back out of what is essentially normal life into this very magical kind of, you know, typical fantasy medieval sort of society um, to find her father and become the new Abhorsen without really any training. Um, and she is just such a kick-ass character. Like, she's very competent. She she makes mistakes. She has a, a bad temper uh, and all of that kind of stuff. 
So she's a fully fleshed out character, but man, she's just so good. She's so good. And Clarial is a prequel. The fourth book in the series is a prequel that goes back several several hundred years and follows, I'm not going to tell you which one because of spoilers, but follows one of the villains that Sabriel and her cohorts defeat in the trilogy and shows you how that person became, went from being a normal teenage girl to being a, a villain. So it's it's a great book on its own, Clarell is, but it's a lot it's a lot better. You're going to appreciate it more if you've already read the trilogy. So I do recommend reading the trilogy first and then read, or at least reading the first one, Sabriel, and then reading um, the fourth one. Okay, my other pick for you, I know that you said that you preferred books written by the same author, but this was not possible, uh, and it's so good that I picked it anyway. And it's Wide Sargasso Sea, Wide Sargasso Sea, sorry, uh, by Jean Rice, which is a prequel to Jane Eyre. So obviously, Charlotte Bronte is not around writing prequels of Jane Eyre. Um, so this tells the story of Bertha, who I'm going to spoil Jane Eyre, which I don't think counts as spoiling because it's 200 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Bertha is the mad woman in the attic, uh, Rochester's wife in Jane Eyre, who prevents Jane and Rochester from being together because obviously he's already married to the mad woman in the attic. And the book takes, it goes back to the islands where Bertha comes from and shows you how her and um, Rochester met, how their marriage happened, how he did or did not get tricked into marrying her. Um, it's really sexy and very um, empathetic towards that character who isn't given a lot of screen time in the book other than to be used as a vehicle for bringing Rochester and Jane apart and then together and apart and together and all that. So if you've read Jane Eyre, which is obviously a classic and my probably favorite book ever, White Sargasso Sea is a must-read prequel. So you can get uh, a more in-depth look at this woman who loved loved Rochester in her own way and had her own reasons for doing what she did and, you know, et cetera. Anyway, it's just really great. Have you read White Sargasso Sea? I have not, oh. but I did read Jane Eyre. I was going to say, are you into I Jane Eyre at all? You did? did. Would you, you did. Would you say that she and Rochester got on like a house on fire? <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a, I used to live in an attic apartment and I made a sign for my door that said Mrs. Rochester and the pizza delivery guys used to call me Mrs. Rochester. Oh no. I'd be like, thank you, Mrs. Rochester. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is well, inaccurate. <laughs> it was great though. That is amazing. But, I do own it. I own, like, every book. I just haven't yes. read them. Of but course I do. know a lot of people who absolutely love this book. It's very small. It's under 200 yeah. pages. So it would take you about 20 minutes to read. Yeah. <laughs> because you are the best. <laughs> All, right. All right. I'll do it while you read the next question. No, just kidding. You, you read the next question. It's your turn. Okay. Question number four. Hello. I've recently read a few books the Nightingale, and All the Light We Cannot See, and I'm completely embarrassed about how little I know about World War II. I was fascinated to hear how the Germans were so oblivious to what was really going on, and I'm looking for a nonfiction book that will give me a look into that time from multiple angles. Thank you, Amanda. I was like, wait, did Amanda... S <laughs> no, her no. name is Amanda, too. There, there, are, one. there is. There is. Copyright infringement. <laughs> how dare you? All right, I think I will... You've got more than me, I think, so I'll go first. I did, that's because I did some research. I yeah, was like, girl. I, I don't even know. Get it, get it. Okay, I've got two. So my first one is Stalingrad. Uh, the subtitle is The Faithful the Fateful Siege of 42 to 43. It's by Anthony Beaver. Uh, kind of a classic of World War II nonfiction, and I love this book so much. It's 
it's just most it's, it's about the Battle of Stalingrad. So um, in 42, Hitler sent his army to Stalingrad as part of, you know, whatever, his invasion of Russia, which, you know, that always goes really well. Um, did for Napoleon. So why not do it again? Uh, and it was there was a five month siege. The Nazis um, were trying to take over the city, but the Russians held them back in this like amazing, awe inspiring um, battle. And then in a really surprising reversal, of course, they broke the siege. The Russians broke the siege and encircled and then trapped the Nazis, um, who then proceeded to starve to death and freeze to death in the Russian winter while the Russians ran around drinking vodka with no coats because that's how awesome they are. Um, the battle killed about a million people, more than a million people, including civilians, which made it one of the um, you know, most deadly battles in the history of humanity. And a lot of civilians were involved in the actual fighting. They weren't part of the military, but, you know, when you're under siege by the Nazis, you, you throw whatever you've got, even if you don't technically have a place in the military. Um, so there's a lot of interviews with survivors, uh, and he goes really deep, Beaver goes really deep into the German and the, both both the German and the Soviet archives, which includes some really uh, brutal uh, interrogations of prisoners of war, uh, and especially um, interrogations of deserters, which were really heartbreaking. And he humanizes both sides, which, you know, it's like in the question this, this uh, that Amanda asked, she's talking about how the Germans were so oblivious to what was really going on. And I think that kind of thing a lot about people in the Nazi army who would then come out and say, well, I had no idea, you know, that that we were doing all of these things to the Jews that we were doing, you know, but like you're in the army, how could you not know? And whether or not you believe them is a whole nother thing. But anyway, um, he does manage to kind of get at that a little bit about how the, the Nazi members of the Nazi military or the German military um, were, you know, invading an entire city and, and, and risking their lives for something that they didn't necessarily fully understand. Um, so that's one. And then my other one is definitely a classic and it's huge. It's about 1700 pages. It's the rise and fall of the third Reich. This is by uh, William Shirer and it's so large. I listened to it on audio and it took me like four months. Oh my goodness. <laughs> because I'm an insane person. You're insane. <laughs> it was, it, but it was really great. I don't know. So you think that the third Reich, um, I don't know, in my head, when I think of, like, the Nazis in World War II, it seems it's like a 10-year thing. But the actual Third Reich only lasted 12 years. And in that 12 years, he basically destroyed so much of Western civilization um, and took over a country and turned an entire nation into his, like, hateful war machine. And how can somebody like that, you know, a, a failed painter uh, who spends time in jail and leads a really small podunk political party... Um, do that trick an entire nation into becoming a tool of, of slaughter and mass destruction. And that this is a look at that. So it's how Hitler comes to power, how the third Reich takes over, how the German people do and don't participate, do and don't cooperate. And then how it eventually falls apart at the end of the war. Um, and of course ends with Hitler's death. So 1700 pages on the third Reich, you will get some funny looks reading this in public. I tell you what, um, but because it's got a giant swastika on the cover, but whatever, it's, it's a history book. It's fine. So those are my picks. Go Lib, go. Well, the first book I'm going to talk about is one that I've actually read, which was one of the most fascinating memoirs I've ever read. It's called My Grandfather Would Have Shot Me. A Black Woman Discovers Her Family's Nazi Past by Jennifer Teague. Uh, it's translated by Nicola Selmer. It came out uh, originally in German. Um, and it's about a woman who 
uh, her mother gave her up for adoption when she was very young. Her mother was white. Her father was black. Um, he was like a student or something. He went back home. And she gave her up for adoption uh, because she was black and also because she couldn't really take care of her. So she would go and visit her at her foster family's home, um, you know, up until she was about seven. So she knew her mother a little bit and she knew her mother's name. And one day she was in the library uh, looking through some books about history and the war. And and she came across something about uh, Amon Garrett, who was like one of the most horrific war criminals of World War II. Um, if you saw uh, Schindler's List, he was played by Ray Fiennes, like that guy. Um, she was reading this thing and he, they talk about how he had a lover at the camp that he ran in Poland. And that she had a daughter and the daughter's name uh, was the woman who who the, the, uh, Jennifer knew as her mother when she was little. And she basically almost fainted in the library and went outside and like laid down on a bench and called her husband and was like, you have to come get me because I can't even believe this. And then, you know, looked into it further. And it was true that he was her grandfather. Um, and there's a lot about how her grandmother, who again was his lover, who lived there at the camp, um, she would tell people, oh, this is just a work camp. Um, and, and they, they would say like, there are children here. And she would say, there are no children here. Like while you could hear the cries of children, um, going on around them and, and how she just maintained this to everybody all the time. Like, this is just a work camp, you know, and, and sort of like the general, um, ostrich in the sand syndrome that everybody kind of had around there. Like nobody wanted to know what was going on because they couldn't even imagine, like they didn't want to let themselves imagine what was actually happening. Um, and she talks a lot about that, like about the, the country, how they uh, had that kind of mentality for a long time after the war. And it's completely fascinating. I mean, just incredible. Like there was an interview that um, her grandmother gave on film at the beginning of the 80s. I think Steven Spielberg was starting to make a documentary film. He was uh, to get ready for Schindler's List. Like he'd been planning to make that movie for a long time. And he interviewed her grandmother and she still was like, you know, oh, it was just a work camp. And, you know, it, it was it was fine, you know, like. 40 years later, just people just did not want to admit to themselves, you know, what was going on. And that was really the only one I could think of. Like, I haven't read a lot of nonfiction World War II that wasn't just about battle. But I did look up a couple books. And the most popular one seems to be What We Knew, Terror, Mass Murder, and Everyday Life in Nazi Germany by Eric Johnson and Karl Heinz Ruband. I'm really bad at pronouncing names. Mm. Terrible. Um, but it says it was based on some 3,000 interviews of survivors, both Jewish and non-Jewish, uh, who were living in Germany at various times throughout the Third Reich, and sort of uh, how they said that 25% of the people living in Germany that they interviewed said that they had no idea what was going on. Um, they, they, they didn't ask questions. They, they just preferred, like, not to know and the other book was called The Nazi Seizure of Power, The Experience of a Single German Town, uh, 1922 to 1945, by William Sheridan Allen. And it's about this one specific town called uh, Nordheim, Germany. And how, from the description I was reading, basically how you were mentioning, how did this, you know, failed painter, mm-hmm. you know, in this little political party grow up to be this big, horrible monster... Um, it's kind of like that, like how they, he says that um, it was through hard work and campaigning and um, sort of door-to-door, you know, talks with people, not through violence. And it was sort of like insidious, like just kept growing and growing like quietly. 
and they follow like the the party through this town like until the war. Um, so that was that's what I got. All right. Question number five. We're tooling right along. This is from Emily. I am a middle school seventh grade language arts teacher and have a large classroom library, but it's seriously lacking in LGBTQ books. I'd love to have some suggestions for books appropriate for middle schoolers. I have Drama by Raina Telgemeier, and I recently read Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda, but I am also struggling uh, with whether that is appropriate for my classroom library. I'm not afraid to include books that challenge the norms, but I would also have a hard time defending a book that is so clearly meant for high schoolers to my middle school parents. Luckily, I have a very supportive principal who will defend books with me and will not let one or a few parents remove a book for other students. We've only had that happen a few times. We have been able to defend the books and our position on them. And that is from Emily. All right. So my first pick for this is George by Alex. I know it's so good. Um, uh, This is a a middle grade book, obviously, about George, who was born a boy, but she knows that she is a girl. And then in her class, uh, her teacher announces that their class play is going to be Charlotte's Web. And George really, really wants to be cast as the part of Charlotte. Um, the teacher says that she can't even try out for the part of Charlotte because she's a boy, even though George knows deep down inside that that is not true. Um, and so with the help, uh, her best friend Kelly helps her come up with a plan to audition for the part of Charlotte in the school play. And also um, through the course of the book, George reveals to her mother and brother kind of what's going on in her life what's going on in her head um, about who she really is. So obviously George is a book about um, a little girl who is trans and it's one of the only ones that I've ever encountered and it's relatively new. It just came out uh, last year. So that's a great pick for um, a school library, I think, for middle grade. And then my other one is one that I haven't read, but that comes very highly recommended. It's Better Nate Than Ever by Tim Federley. And this is a, a middle grade book that came out in 2013 and won the Stonewall Book Award, or was a nominee of the Stonewall the Stonewall Book Award for children's and young, young adult literature. And it's about a little boy named Nate who wants to star in a Broadway show or even see a Broadway show, but he lives in a very small town in Pennsylvania where there's not any kind of culture or any opportunity to see um big theater shows like that and of course no one's going to take him to New York and no one even appreciates music really like Nate does. So he's got a best friend named Libby who helps him plan an overnight escape to the city to New York City for an open casting call for the musical version of E.T. which is amazing and does that exist for real because I would totally go see that. Um, And so Nate decides this is going to be his big break. He's going to go to New York and do the thing and be in the musical and get cast. Um, and so Nate's sexuality is side, kind of like sideways addressed. Like the kid is 13 um, and it's brought up where so, somebody asks him about his sexuality. And his answer is basically, I don't know yet. I'm still figuring out. But there are other hints in the book that he is gay. And so um, I think at one point somebody told me there's a somebody asks him why he wants to go to New York. And he says something like it's a place where two boys can dance together and no one's going to stop them, that kind of thing. Um, so it's so the, the reviews that I read are interesting because they said it's subtle enough, the discussion of Nate's sexuality in the book, that it can, it'll probably not even be caught by most parents. So if you are worried about parents having a problem with the content, um, then this is probably a good pick for that. But it is, it is there, and kids are going to read it and notice it. Um, so if you're looking for books that are going to be a comfort or just so that your LGBTQ kids in your classroom 
can have some representation. And that's a that's a good pick, too. Um, also, there was a post that we just did on the site that Kelly Jensen put together uh, that was just a roundup of LGBTQ books for middle grade readers. Some of them are out of print, but most of them you can still get. We've got Amazon links uh, in the post and I will leave the a link to the show in the show notes to that one. It's like it's something like a dozen, um, I think, 10 or a dozen books uh, for you. So that is a good resource. And Liberty's turn. Go. So we talked about George on the All the Books podcast a few months ago when it came out. And I also had not heard of another uh, book about a trans student for middle grade. And someone pointed me in the direction of a book called Gracefully Grayson by Amy Polonsky, which is sort of the same story. Um, I haven't read it yet, but it uh, Grayson Sender uh, is a girl on the inside, even though people refer to him as a boy, or refer to her as a boy, um, you know, she feels like she's stuck in the wrong body. And, you know, she wants to tell people her secret and very similar to George. And I heard it's also quite delightful. Mm. Um, I love George. Kelly, his friend Kelly, or her friend Kelly is the best. Yes, like, yes, yes. And her dad is so good. Yeah, it's it's so funny. I love that book. Um, there's also uh, The Difference Between You and Me by Madeline George. Um, which I really need to read more middle grade books. I feel like I read a lot of YA, but I don't read a lot of middle grade. But this was on a list, um, uh, the gay YA site. Mm -hmm. And this was highly recommended um, about a young girl who um, dresses like a boy and likes to wear combat boots and carry a Swiss army knife. And she meets Emily who is the vice president of the student council and has a boyfriend and they have nothing in common except that they spend this time together every Tuesday and it's a special time. And Jesse wishes that their relationship could be out in the open, but Emily feels like she has too much to lose. Um, that So it's like, what are you going to choose? So there's that, which also reminds me of The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is mm. way... Not a middle grade book at all. Yeah, but I just yeah, love yeah. to say that title all the time because I love that book so, so much. Aristotle so, and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe is also excellent LGBTQIA. Such a good title. Not for middle grade, really. No, um, but it's just so much fun to say. Yes, to it is. I just like, like to say. Tell everybody whenever you can. <laughs> um, and the last one is another one that I have not read, but I was I did a lot of research. I did my homework and it's called The Misfits by James Howe. And it's about a group of students. Um, one is an overweight boy. One is a very tall, outspoken girl. Uh, one is a gay middle schooler. And then one is sort of like the bad kid. And they're friends. And they decide that they're tired of people picking on them all the time and that they're going to fight back. Um, and it's great. And James Howe wrote Panicula, one of like the best books ever. That's amazing! Right? So... Um, I ordered this from the library because I was like, I have to read this. I had not even heard of it. Um, but it gets high marks and sounds incredible. So I hope that's helpful. All right. I hope, yeah. I hope my lack of knowledge is, is sort of offset by research. I don't know. Girl, you don't have a lack of knowledge. You got this. <laughs> you got it. I'm so nervous. <laughs> you're not <laughs> But you're why? You're, you're a velocireader. You know all things. <laughs> All right. Last question we've got right here. Last you want to read it? I will read it. All right. Go to town. Okay. 
I'm an avid reader and spend a lot of my free time reading or listening to books while I do other activities. Starting in January, I'll be working on a master's degree part-time while working full-time. I'm already worried how this will affect my reading life, but I think reading, listening to short stories will be an awesome way to fit in what I can when I have time. Could you give me some short story recs? I've read The Other Language by Francesca Marciano and The Girl in the Flammable Skirt by Amy Bender and love them both. Favorite genres include fiction and historical fiction, but I'm totally willing to branch out to other genres. Thanks so much. And that is from Anna. All right, Anna. I've got three. You've got three as well. So we should, yeah, we're good. Okay. So my first pick for you is Arvida by, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Arvida by Samuel Archibald, A-R-V-I-D-A. Um, this is probably one of my favorite books that I read this year. Um, even though it's only February, it'll still probably be one of my favorite books of the year. It was first published, I think, in 2011, uh, but it just came out last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. It just came out translated uh, from French last year. It's about Arvida, which is a model town that was designed in Quebec uh, way in the north of Quebec by an American industrialist. And each story is set in this town. And it's a portrait, basically, of this really rural, cold, wild uh, town in Quebec. Not even town, really, just collection of people surviving the cold, I think is probably what I would call it. Um, and every story is just a gut punch. Like, there, it's really brutal. Um, there's a lot of, like, hunting and wild animals. There's um, some sexual abuse, ritual, mutilation. It's a dark collection, but it's very much like, uh, I tweeted something about it. I don't remember my exact words, but it was like, this is Cormac McCarthy. If Cormac McCarthy and uh, Jack London had a love child that wrote short stories, that would be this. And that's what it is. So if you are all interested in Cormac McCarthy or Jack London or what a love child between the two of them would look like in book form, then, uh, that's what you should read, Arvida by Samuel Archibald. Okay, um, my second selection for this was Diving Bells by Lucy Wood, which I've talked about on this show before, and it is also one of my favorite collections of short stories. And I feel like if you like Amy Bender, then you will enjoy um, Lucy Wood. So in the, the title short story, Diving Bells, is about um, husbands who are strayed into the sea by, like, mermaids can be fetched back by... Um, women who go in, like they just, by, by this company that uh, provides a diving bell for women to go in. And then the diving bell, of course, goes to the bottom of the ocean and they can get their straying husbands back and pay money for it. And um, every story is a little bit like that. Like you get something in real life that happens in real life, like women trying, you know, trying to deal with infidelity. And then it's twisted in like a very slightly... Uh, folk taleish mythological fantasy man magical realism kind of way um, like there's a nursing home for retiring monsters kind of stuff um there's a, a woman who's turning to stone a house that's filling up with water like everything is just slightly weird and slightly dark and in my mind it's like I feel like it's like if Florence and the Machine were were a novel or were a collection of short stories, like that kind of ephemeral, ethereal, weird, otherworldly kind of tone and feeling in short story form. And they're great to read at night. So like you're working on your master's and if you're looking for something to read in little bursts, um, I think reading one short story a night before you go to bed is a good way to do that. And they're really, they'll give you really interesting dreams, she says from personal experience. Okay, my last pick for you is Almost Famous Women, which is a collection of short stories by Megan Mayhew Bergman. Um, and each story is about a woman who was on the outskirts of celebrity somehow. So like Oscar Wilde's niece, 
Lord Byron's daughter, Allegra, um, Edna uh, St. Vincent Millay's sister, whose name was Norma. So like people who live just on the vicinity of people who were famous, women who were almost famous. Uh, and she, uh, Mayhew Bergman, really just like dives into their lives and explores what that's like being almost famous or being famous and then losing it entirely and having to function in society as a normal person. Um, and it really just gives the voices to women whose history has kind of forgotten, who we definitely should not have. So I really, really loved this collection of short stories. It's kind of heartbreaking and feministy in like this really refreshing and great way. Um, and will really make you think about like people who live on the peripheral of fame and what that must feel like and look like and the, the, the choices you have to make. It was just fascinating. So that is great. Okay, wrap us up, Lib. Well, my first pick is called All Aunt Hagar's Children. Uh, it's a collection of stories by Edward P. Jones. I, I had a hard time because every short story collection I was thinking of, I was like, yeah, it's not an audio. Oh, this one. Uh -huh. Oh, it's not an audio. So yeah. I had to do a little, a little searching. So I think I ended up on this collection because his first collection, Lost in the City, was not an audio. But I could be lying now. I don't know. Um, there are lots of characters in this collection that are from Lost in the City, but you don't need to know that to enjoy these stories. Um, if you don't know Edward P. Jones, he wrote The Known World, which is one of the best books pretty much ever written mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. it's probably my favorite book like if pressed I, that's what i would pick i mean he's brilliant and he writes uh, every once in a while and every time he does he wins like a million things uh, <laughs> and this is a just comes down from on high he really does i think they said that the known world won more awards than any other book like so far has won more awards it's it's incredible but this, again this is all Arn hager's children and it's uh stories about the everyday ordinary citizens in washington dc like he doesn't concern himself with like the famous or the politicians um he just likes to pay attention to the everyday people who sort of um keep the city going and i got to see him read from this book and it was incredible he is amazing uh, my next pick is my idol i can't go without talking about her at least once on a podcast that's elizabeth mccracken and her most recent collection called Thunderstruck and Other Stories, which also won like a bazillion things. She wrote The Giant's House, which is an incredible novel. If you've not read it, I would highly recommend it. Um, and this was the finalist for the National Book Award, I, I believe. Her first, as was The Giant's House. And she writes these sort of like Shirley Jackson kind of stories. Like, they're sad and beautiful, but not much good goes on. Like... Mm -hmm. Things don't really work out for people a lot of the time. Um, the first one, I think it's the first one, was about a girl who was murdered and she sort of hangs around the neighborhood and makes her mom really sad. And um, there is one about a guy who, uh, I think he moves to Maine after his wife dies. Um, and it was like the place that he was supposed to go with his wife, I think. Um, I've, I'm trying to remember them all now in my head. It's not working. Um, she, Elizabeth McCracken is a genius. Like, she's an absolute genius. Like, um, so that's not, like, straight fiction. It's a little more speculative. And then if you want to get even weirder, because I love getting weirder, um, there is the queen of weird, and that is Kelly Link. Yes. <laughs> oh, she's so good. Um, and her new collection just came out in paperback, which doesn't make a difference if you're going to listen to it. But, uh, it's called Get in Trouble, and she's brilliant. She writes super creepy not always creepy, but, like, weird, um, funny, brilliant stories. Uh, there's one about a girl who is the caretaker uh, to a house where she never really sees the visitors who 
are staying there. Um, there's a, a ghost hunting reality show. I think uh, there's the one where a girl, a teenage girl, gets a life-size animated doll for her birthday, which kind of um, splits her friendship. I, I can't talk today. Kind of like ruins her friendship with her friends because she now has this this life-size doll. Um She's so cool. Like, there's evil twins, um, iguanas. <laughs> like, you know, like you have. Well, as long as um, they're iguanas. Yeah. She's just brilliant. I love her so much. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm running out of adjectives. All right. Well, we can, that could, that's good. Thank you. Hey, okay, so before we go, um, will you tell the people out there in the world about all the books? Tell them yes. about your podcast. Yes, please. Yes. Thank you. Yes, uh, I do all the books every week, uh, every Tuesday with Rebecca Shinsky. Everyone knows Rebecca. Woohoo! Um, and we talk about the week's best new releases that we have read. Uh, and it's really fun. And um, yeah. Awesome. That's, that, I'm like, that's it. <laughs> so you can, if you go to Book Riot, um, we have a drop down menu for columns and genres and all of that. And you can just click on, or actually on the top, there's a little button that says podcast. So just click on podcast yep. and you can find all the books. You can find all of the, um, past episodes. You can find all the past episodes of get booked and all of our other shows. Um, so do that, do check out, uh, both, uh, all the books and I don't know, back episodes of get booked. It's, it's a good yeah. show. I think <laughs> my, my words usually come out better today. They're, oh, you did great. Thank you so and, much for coming. And, and oh, well, thanks for asking me. These questions were rough. man. I learned a lot. I'm very excited to read that really disturbing short story collection. Oh, Vita, it is so great, man. I'm obsessed with it. I am obsessed with it. So, um, if you like the show, please go rate us, review us on iTunes. It helps the, the show be easier to find when other people are looking for it. You can find us on social media. I am at I'm Amanda Nelson on Twitter. You are at Miss Liberty, right? That's correct. Yes. And thank you so much to our sponsors, which were um, ourselves for our steamy reading box. Please go check that out at store.bookriot.com. And we will see you all back next week. Bye.